Week 5 officially in the books. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Gerard Placido, alongside my co-host, Mark Anthony Placido. And this is the Mac First Zach podcast. As you already know, we do have an official Instagram page, mac.verse.zach at Instagram, obviously, Instagram.com, Instagram app. I always say Instagram.com. I don't know a single person who uses Instagram.com, but you guys get the point. Now, Mark Anthony, with this episode, as it usually goes, we will be breaking down what we saw with our own two eyes. We are elite football player watchers. Um, we'll be breaking down the performance of our beloved teams and also giving listeners a preview for what's to come in week six. Now, with that being said, while the Jets obviously did have the first game in week five in London against the Atlanta Falcons, I'm going to give you the floor to uh, discuss your beloved New England Patriots and Houston Texans and that matchup that occurred within week five. I was happy with the win. It was a scary win. You know, a win is a win, as people would say, but winning by three points against one of the worst teams in the NFL is pretty scary due to the fact that this coming week we are versing, you know, arguably one of the best teams in the NFL, which is the Dallas Cowboys. But I was happy with how Mac Jones came came back from 16-point deficit. You know, he had that one touchdown with Hunter Henry that shifted the momentum. And then the whole defense with Matt Jude on the two sacks and all the quarterback pressures that made David Mills uncomfortable towards the end, even though he did lit, light up our secondary with 312 yards plus three touchdowns. But, you know, our one game showed up a bit, which was definitely better than the Tampa game. And even our receivers, Jacoby Myers, have another good game. Even Aguilar and everyone just getting involved. That's what you would like to see with our free agency cast that we brought in. Right, and now... You never want to gauge how a team is based on what Vegas predicts the outcome to be, but you guys did enter this game as eight-point favorites, uh, according to Odd Sharks. And usually, like I said before, you you don't want to base everything off of Vegas because at the end of the day, that's just the gambling odds. Most of the time, they are right. As a common phrase goes, Vegas always ends up winning somehow. But point being is that the overall assumption was that this was not going to be a close game. I mean, eight points was I thought even too little but at the end of the day despite your record heading into this game you guys are a team that's coached by Bill Belichick who spent an absurd amount of money in the offseason to improve that offense yes you guys entered this game with some injuries but at the end of the day this is the Houston Texans excuse me and despite them showing heart and playing you know passionate football at times under David Culley they are still suffering the decisions made by the former regime from Houston and, you know, trading away Hopkins for nothing, having to settle with David Johnson in a, a core backfield made up of basically all veterans, uh, Davis Mills being thrown into the lineup due to Tyrod Taylor's injury, not even expecting to probably play him this season at all. Everything was going against the Texans ultimately heading into this year before the first kickoff even started between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Dallas Cowboys on that first Thursday night game but the chips were even stacked higher against them heading into this week Davis Mills obviously going against Bill Belichick and we all seen especially us Mac versus Zach we've seen how Bill Belichick treats rookie quarterbacks on the defensive side now my takeaway from this game is that the Patriots are the Patriots now obviously no duh that's the name of their team that's who they are but what I mean by that is that at the end of the day Bill as great as Bill Belichick is he cannot make up for some of the blatant mistakes that you're seeing within 
this Patriot offense and Patriot defense at times. I mean, the slow start to to begin the game, having to play catch up against the Houston Texas Texans. Granted, you did it, and a win is a win, like you said before. But I think it's definitely rearing his ugly head. Life without Tom Brady, as if last year wasn't a good indication of that. I think this year is still another troublesome year. I mean, you're two and three, second place in the division, yes, but that's only because of injury-riddled Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets who weren't expecting to be competing for much of anything other than the first, second, or third overall pick. Now, you guys did win, obviously, 25-22, to 22, but how do you feel heading into, and we'll you know preview further into Dallas, but how do you feel as a Patriot fan leaving this game? Obviously, you do feel happy with the win, but is this happiness kind of different? With a win by three points rather than a win that would have been decided by eight or more? If we won by like 14, I'd be really happy. But coming away, winning the game only by three points to like, you know, one of the worst teams in the NFL, it's scary because you look at the Chiefs, like the Packers or the Cowboys with high-powering offenses. If they keep putting points on the board against our defense with us needing to come back against them, then it's not going to happen. And if we play like this, we could lose to bad teams too, so... It's scary, but I'm hoping that with practice, Belichick can make them play better overall. Now, you just mentioned that, you know, the it's worrisome to see just how easy it was for Davis Mills to kind of break down your secondary, a secondary coach by Bill Belichick, which is makes it even, you know, tip your hat off even more to Davis Mills. But the reality of it is, life isn't going to get any easier for this New England Patriots secondary. You guys, although you did intend on releasing him probably at the end of this season, you guys did just trade away uh, Stephon Gilmore to the Carolina Panthers for a 2023 six-round pick. Uh, J.C. Jackson is still coming into his own, and you guys still have secondary woes that are going to last past this season. You made a lot of moves on offense, uh, signed some high-key free agents with uh, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, Kendrick Bourne, if you want to call him a high-key free agent, same thing goes for Nelson Aguilar. Matthew Judon, yes, he was a big addition on the defensive side of the ball. But with that being said, you guys have a glaring issue in the secondary, and life without Gilmore is going to be an adjustment. But I think you guys have the right keys to do so. I mean, what's your takeaway on that Stephon Gilmore trade, and how do you think losing you know, an all-pro corner like that is going to affect your secondary in the near future and the long-term future it's gonna affect it a lot because we gave up uh you know a defensive player of the year two years ago for just a fifth round pick and yes i know that he's old and you know he's not in his prime but he's still a really good cornerback he helped out secondary a lot with all the picks you have each season and he's a he was a great mentor mentor for jc jackson and all of our young cornerbacks but sad to see him go you know especially to the Panthers who just keep getting all these assets. But it's, you know, you move on, and I'm just hoping to see the growth and development of J.C. Jackson, who is definitely, I believe, think that he is a number one cornerback. Yeah, I mean, I think you saw what J.C. Jackson can do. You saw flashes of it, despite Brashad Perriman <laughs> roasting him last season when we played you guys. Um, but no, all seriousness, I think J.C. Jackson definitely – you know, is a player you look forward to stepping up and filling that cornerback one role that Stephon Gilmore once played. But these trades are always mind-boggling at times. I mean, yes, Stephon Gilmore is old, obviously. He's not someone you're bringing in if you're, you know, someone like the Jets where you're a rebuilding organization or even someone like the Patriots 
who, in my opinion, are very well re- half rebuilding, half competing. But even with that said, you see what Stefan Gilmore could be. I mean, it's not like he fell off last year. He, he Yes, he did get injured last year, but he wasn't on the decline of his career. He was a little bit slower, you know, covering these faster, younger receivers, you know, the Tyreek Hills of the world. But who isn't, you know, fast enough to cover him? Point being, I think a sixth round for him, I just thought, was a little odd. I mean, yes, it's better than getting nothing for him at the end of the year when you guys would most likely drop him. But, I mean, in regards to this trade alone, how do you feel about what you got in return? I feel like he definitely deserved more than a six-rounder, of course. I, I wish there was, like, a, a third-round pick or a second-round pick because, you know, I wish we got, like, what we got for Mahomes and New when we gave up a second-round pick for him from the Falcons. But I don't know what that trade was, but... At least we got something instead of nothing. But like you said, we were going to drop him probably at the end of this year. You know, I just wish the pick was a little bit higher, but who knows? Maybe we could get a future, you know, key key piece to our defense or offense. Yeah, and, you know, you guys, obviously this trade is official. Now we flip over to the Jets, who have a potential trade brewing on their hands, and that is safety Marcus May. Marcus May obviously is playing on the franchise tag this year after the New York Jets and Marcus May could not come to terms on a long-term deal this most recent offseason. I don't see this ending well for the New York Jets and Marcus May. Now, I'll get more into detail about that, but what's your overall thoughts on these superstars in the around the league? You see it in all sports, kind of, if they don't, if they're not content with where they are or the role they're playing on that specific team, what's your opinion on these athletes kind of forcing their way out of town? I don't like that because, say for Jamal Adams, you know, he got drafted to the Jets, he loved the Jets, but then it's all about the money. They want Aaron Donald paid, and that's why they, they leave the team because, like you said, you guys are trying to rebuild. It's not smart give one player all the cash in the world. And, you know, the players, they don't understand that. They just want to leave and just get the money and just play for a better team, which I don't like, you know. I believe in loyalty. I wish more players could just stay on just one team like Larry Fitzgerald did. But that's my that's what I think about all these players leaving the original teams. No, I definitely agree, and I think it's definitely something you're seeing occur more within these younger players, contrary to the older, you know, veteran players such as the Larry Fitzgerald example that you gave. But it's just the reality of sports today. I mean you see James Harden in basketball. You see Jamal Adams, like you just mentioned, another great example. And now you're seeing Marcus May. Safety is not a position that warrants the big money. So Marcus May was apparently offered a contract that he was offended by this offseason. Like I said earlier, he is now playing on the franchise tag. I think the reality of it is we have Seattle's pick from the aforementioned Jamal trade. We are going to have our own first round pick. So I think that Joe Douglas is not afraid, obviously, after what he did with Jamal Adams, to move a guy who's not pleased with where he is with Marcus May you're not going to get that same compensation I don't think he was drafted in the second round so I would not mind a third round I don't want anything less than a third round for him but you want to make sure if you're Joe Douglas you're not saying the message to your locker room that don't intend on extending past your first rookie contract because you want to at least I would think as a GM who's kind of running a rebuild within a big market team you want to have homegrown talent you don't want to keep seeing these guys walk out the door. I mean, John Franklin Myers wasn't drafted by us, but he was picked up by Joe Douglas in free agency, proved his worth, and got a contract extension. And I think Marcus May, 
we obviously would like to keep him. We did offer him a contract extension this offseason prior to signing him to the franchise tag, but I don't see it ending well, and I don't think Marcus May will remain a Jet for the near future. I think he definitely could potentially be moved at the trade deadline. We are obviously thin at all of our secondary, but if one thing has been evident this season with the Jets and their decision at secondary is that we're more than willing to move forward with our young pieces. Uh, what do you think as being a fan of the pages who have to play Marcus May twice a year. What do you think about the Jets in that situation? Uh, um, like for this, I think you should trade him. You know, you don't, especially if, like, he's, if he makes a big deal in the locker room or just, just in public, like with, you know, social media th- these days, just trade him, you know, third down pick, like you said, or just make something like big happen. You, you know, you have all these other assets and I know teams would want, would want him because like, he's a good safety at the end of the day. Teams like the Cowboys, like the Bucks, with their depleted secondary, but yeah, I think I think you guys should just like you know get rid of him, get good value back, and just say hey, good luck with your new team and start your new chapter for both sides. It would be pretty cool though if Seattle were to get Marcus May just to see uh, Marcus May and Jamal Adams kind of potentially finish their career in Seattle. I think that'd be pretty cool, but time will tell. As with all trades and rumors. With that being said, the Jets did fall to the Atlanta Falcons in London. I feel bad for anyone who woke up to watch that. The score doesn't indicate how poorly, in my opinion, the Jets performed. It was 27-20 final. Falcons now 2-3. and three. Jets are 1-4. and four, But it was a super, super slow start for the New York Jets at halftime. They found themselves in a 17-point hole, 20-3. And give credit to Robert Sala. He has this team still playing with heart, with pride. You know, they rallied back to obviously make this game a one-possession loss at the end of the day, and, and they, he had his team in a position to have his defense, you know, get the ball back and give his young quarterback one more chance to lead his team to a tie or victory or force overtime, whatever the case may be. But it was too little too late, and that's been the case for a majority of our games recently. These slow starts... You could chalk it up to jet lag, you could chalk it up to whatever since you're in London, but all the conditions the Jets were entering this game with, other than their young age, which is a circumstance they have every game because of the nature of their roster, all those excuses you can make, the Falcons could say the same thing. And, you know, they actually have more excuses with the absence of Calvin Ridley and uh, Russell Gage, and I think they're missing two defenders as well. But with that being said, the New York Jets couldn't take advantage of it. And what was an already poor team, in my opinion, in the Atlanta Falcons, now missing both of their number one and number two receivers. And the Jets just couldn't move the ball on them to begin the game. We did make proper adjustments and were able to make this sort of watchable towards the end. But once again, we fall short and we entered this game super flat and it reared its ugly head right away. It was just awful you know it was hard to watch and it is something that as a Jet fan that's hard to say because there are a lot of games that are hard to watch but are still watchable if that makes sense this one just was very annoying and that sounds extremely biased and because I'm a fan but it was annoying because this is a Falcon roster who you knew were entering this game down their number one number two receivers like I said before and just seeing the fact that your team couldn't do anything to stop Kyle Pitts, Cordero Patterson for crying out loud, and to see Matt Ryan sort of come back to life against, of course, the New York Jets, it was just 
super, super frustrating and annoying. Those are the two best words I could use to describe my personal feeling of the Jet fan watching this game. Zach Wilson took two steps forward in Tennessee just to take one step back in Atlanta. And I said this in the last episode of the podcast. What you want to do as a young rebuilding team is you want to learn how to be consistent. And that stems from up top. That stems from Robert Sala and what he preaches, all gas, no break. It trickles down to uh, Matt LaFleur, our offensive coordinator, Jeff Ubrick, our defensive coordinator. And then that stems down to the players and how they perform. And whatever they did, they left that good mojo that they picked up in Florham Park against the Titans, left it there because they got off the plane in London and they just came out super flat. What were your thoughts about that game? Uh, I was surprised because, like you said, you guys played super well against Tennessee, and it was basically like, you know, the same type of injuries. They had both of their starting wide receiver number one and two out, and then the Falcons had the same thing. I thought you guys would win the game and go into the bye week with being two and three, but, you know, you, you just can't start off slow, and that's why you guys lost the game. I was I was the Jets. I was rooting for the Jets to win because, because of you, but, you know, I was sad to see that they lost an easy, winnable game. It wasn't even as if the injuries were the only thing similar to Tennessee. It was honestly a more ideal situation, in my opinion, than it was against the Titans because I don't think Arthur Smith is half the coach of Mike Vrabel. Excuse me. There's no Derrick Henry to worry about. It was Cordero Patterson to worry about and Kyle Pitts. And two of the touchdowns that were scored this game were receiving touchdowns was basically D-lineman covering them. And, and you can't have a D-lineman cover... Kyle Pitts, he was taken first round as a tight end for a reason. You know, it's it's very weird situations that occurred in this game. And, you know, I think the fact that we have an all-rookie coaching staff, with the exception of our special teams coordinator, you could definitely see that. And you're going to go through your lumps. But if there's one positive, and if you want to look at the outlook that I try to take, you know, when I reflect on these Jet games, whether it's a win or a loss, which is what it is most of the time, you could definitely say that if this game went the same way it went but replaced Robert Sala was Adam Gase, this game is a blowout. I mean, this team still is buying into Robert Sala, but you want to see it result in wins. And the New York Jets do have a bye for Week 6, so I'll be avoiding ultimate pain and not having to watch them. I'll be sitting by your side and watching your New England Patriots as they take on the Dallas Cowboys, and I'll give you the floor to go over that. But my final takeaway from this London game and my thoughts heading into the bye week is that I really hope the New York Jets can sort of sit down with Zach Wilson and figure out ways to get their new playmaker, Elijah Moore, involved, Corey Davis more involved, um, get the run game going, and concoct a game plan that at least makes the game watchable week seven against your New England Patriots. Before I talk about the you know the factors for Patriots and Cowboys, we do have the injury list for for them and for outs we have Shaq Mason. You know once again, you know our sorry white guard is out with a um, hamstring injury and um, Sean Brown still on IR. You know for the three games who really hasn't played a single snap other than Week One against Miami. I saw him like tackles out so. Our old linemen, uh, you know, they they can't stay consistently healthy, and then we have Sean Wade again, who, you know, it's like our four-string cornerback who's out, and just for the Cowboys so far, they have the defensive end, Dorian Armstrong is out with an ankle, 
But for questionable, we have Damian Harris with the rib injury from the Texans game, J.J. Taylor with the groin, uh, Ronnie Perkins with an ankle, Kyle Van Noy with the groin, Jonathan Jones with the ankle, the Green Goblin, Jalen Mills with the hamstring, and then our kicker, Nick Folk, who basically won us that game with a left knee. And for the Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott with the ribs injury. He'll, he's probably going to be fine. Tyron Smith with the neck. Randy Gregory, the defensive end, with the knee. Trayvon Diggs, an ankle. Dem uh, the safety, DeMonte Casey, the hip. And then the other safety, Donovan, Donovan Wilson with a groin. But for my first um, key factor for this game is to not turn the ball over. Our past three games, Mac Jones has thrown an interception. And, you know, we can't have turnovers against this Cowboys secondary, which definitely improved from last year. You know, they're in the bottom five with takeaways, and now they're, like, in the top, you know, with just the one cornerback, Trayvon Diggs, with six picks in five games. And, you know, he's probably going to be on our number one wide receiver, which is either going to be Jacoby Myers or Kendrick Bourne. I don't want him throwing the ball to him at all because he's probably going to end up in a pick or he's going to make an amazing defensive play. So if we could just, like, you know, turn, not turn the ball over, just play, you know, um, smart football, I think that would definitely help us at least try to win in this game against, you know, a really, really strong Cowboys team with Dak Prescott coming back and potentially could be one, the, one of the final candidates for the MVP. And my second factor for this game is our defense, you know. Cause pressure to make him um, cause turnovers, you know. When the Cowboys versus the Chargers, he didn't play his best game, and he did throw a pick to the um, corner, Asante Samuel Jr. And if we could get J.C. Jackson, you know, one of our young cornerbacks, um, get in turnovers, you know, pass deflections, that would be amazing because they do have, you know, one of the best wide receiver trios, well, without Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, and CeeDee Lamb. And they're both really good, you know. If we could hold them... Then we, we could just worry about Ezekiel Elliott, but that's a tough task to even handle, even just Molly Cooper. But I'm going to, I'm you know, I'm excited to see what Matt Patricia could set up for our defensive unit against this high-power offense with all the key, key pieces and how we, how we could get to the quarterback because they have, you know, arguably the best offensive lineman, offensive line group in the whole NFL with, you know, the right tackle and, and Zach Martin, of course. And then for the last takeaway, just, you know, just to run the ball. You know, even against the Texans unit, we really had, you know, a poor day rushing the ball. You know, I'm hoping Damian Harris could get going. If he plays, you know, J.J. Taylor and our rookie running back. But, yeah, if we run the ball, we could, you know, help Mac Jones not cause any turnovers. But basically, just like last game, those are my three, you know, main key factors for now, what I think would be high school on Cowboys and Patriots game. Now, contrary to, you know, majority's belief heading into this season, the Cowboy defense is nothing to overlook anymore. I mean, I'm not saying that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense or the Buffalo Bills defense and how they're playing lately, but this is a defense that could create turnovers and could, you know, definitely stop your run game and contain Mac Jones and, and your passing game. Now, with that being said, I think you're going to see a performance from Mac Jones that's definitely going to ask him to be more like the Mac Jones you saw against Tampa Bay rather than the Mac Jones you saw against the New York Jets. And that basically he's saying is that I think you're going to see Mac Jones have to kind of put this team on his back and gut out the win himself and prove why he 
was taken by Bill Chet, Bill Belichick, excuse me, with his first round pick and why he should be the face of your franchise moving forward. Now, once again, this was the Mac vs. Zach podcast. We look forward to an entertaining week six. And good luck to your New England Patriots against the Dallas Cowboys. I'll be rooting for the Cowboys. And thank you for tuning in. You can follow us at mac.verse.zach on Instagram. Have an excellent weekend. Enjoy your week six. And go Patriots, go Jets.